Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Um, for those of you who I have not had the chance to meet, my name is Ethan Smith, uh, and I'm one of the lay elders here, and I have the privilege of beginning our Advent sermon series this morning. Um, Advent is one of my, uh, or probably my most favorite time of the year, um, both in my personal life and in my walk with Christ, so I'm excited to share that with y'all today. Um, And this year at Grace Fellowship during Advent, we will be walking through Isaiah chapter 11 uh, as our passage um, for the next three weeks. And then on Christmas Eve, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we'll be reading um, from Matthew to kind of see how this prophecy and this oracle from Isaiah is fulfilled in Christ. Um, And so this passage Isaiah tells us about one who will come from Jesse's line who is anointed by the Spirit, filled with strength uh, and a strength of character. And our hope is that through studying this text that we will come to see Jesus more clearly, um, to know who he is and what he's like, and to um, just rejoice in that. And so that's our hope through these sermon series. Uh, And today we will be studying particularly Uh, Isaiah 11 verses one through just the first part of three, um, but I'm actually going to read from beginning in 1033 uh, until 11.9. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. I will read that um, and listen carefully for this is God's word. Isaiah 10.33. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an ax, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will play, put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And as is our custom, we pair our sermon passage with a reading from the complimentary testament. uh, And our passage comes from Matthew 3, verses 13 through 4, 1. Um, 
So listen to this as well. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come to you as your people. Lord, grateful for your word and for your spirit. And we pray that you would come and meet us uh, wherever we are at. Lord, would you um, just use your words um, through the prophet Isaiah and through Matthew uh, and the words that I have prepared to speak to us. And would you empower them by your spirit um, to mold us and shape us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a really hard year. And it's been a particularly hard year if you are a plant in Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) I don't even know what it was, but there was something that happened last fall that made most of my bushes and plants and things in my lawn kind of start to not do so well. And then, The spring came and it got warm a little bit early and everything started to come to life and to bloom and to bud uh, and there was, you know, spring came a little bit early and it was beautiful, but then there was a hard frost that came after that and the blooms died off and the buds were stunted. And then, as if that weren't enough, Uh, We had, as happens pretty much every summer, a warm, hot summer, and I don't know the technical definitions of drought, but I do know that we had at least a period of 60 days with no rain. And so, if you are in Ethan's lawn, um, my grass is brown and crispy, my bushes are dead, uh, and if you've driven past my house, I ripped most of them up this year, Um, and we have this fig tree in our front yard, and that used to be beautiful and lush, and it would grow figs every summer, and it was a delight to us and to our neighbors. We have this lady who walks around our neighborhood and would literally just come into our yard and pick figs from the tree um, pretty much every day, and um, that tree, too, is now just a kind of hideous, tangled, like, stump of branches um, with not a whole lot of life going on. So it's been a really hard year, but I'm not talking about plants anymore. Maybe you've been through a season where you don't even really know what it was, but there was something that happened back there and you just don't feel right or like everything's as it should be. Or maybe something has happened and you were experiencing spring in your heart and in your life and Things were coming to life and you were filled with joy and then a frost came and put an end to that before it's time. 
Or maybe you're just in a period where you are experiencing a drought. You don't have what you need. You're constantly worn out. You're pouring out and not getting back all that you need, um, whatever that may be. And if you are in any one of those situations, this passage and this sermon is for you tonight. And even if you are not in one of those seasons, if you are a hardy plant like my holly bushes who are doing great this year, this sermon is still for you. Because the season of Advent is about teaching us and forming us and shaping us to learn how to hope in Christ when those challenging times come. You don't have to be feeling it to learn how to trust in God in those times. And so, if you don't hear anything else tonight, what I hope you hear from this sermon is that Christ brings new life into even the most desolate and desperate of circumstances. And that is where Israel finds themselves in this passage. But before we get there, I'd love to um, give us a little bit of historical context. Uh, Now, I'm not doing this just because I'm an ancient Near Eastern history nerd, although that is true. Um, But I really believe that understanding a little bit about what's going on when Isaiah is given this word to God's people will help us to connect it to our hearts and our lives as well. And so Isaiah 11 most likely comes, we don't know exactly for sure, but sometime around 720 BC, so about 2,750 years ago or so. Um, Now, this was roughly 300 years after the founding of Israel, okay? So it's been a long time. For context, the U.S., the signing of Declaration of Independence was 245 years ago, 47, I believe. Um, So... It's a long time, like think back to George Washington, like seems like ancient history. This was about that same for Israel, okay? So um, they have in many ways kind of come down from their height of glory and power under King David and King Solomon, uh, and they've essentially been on a steady decline since then, uh, and it's getting worse and worse. Uh, And right now, so after Solomon, Israel divided into the southern kingdom, which has Jerusalem, Uh, It's called Judah, or the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. Um, And they kind of have been constantly at odds. The northern kingdom kind of dived head first into idolatry and sin and all these things. Um, So this passage is given to Judah. uh, And the king over Judah at this time is a man named Ahaz. And you can read about him in 2 Kings 16, if you're interested. Um, But I'll give you the highlights. Uh, So Ahaz... (laughs) was 20 years old when he began to reign, all right? And so, probably not the best time to like become a king, right? (laughs) We've all been 20 before, or most of us, and you know, you're maybe not fully uh, formed in your wisdom yet. Uh, And what the Bible says about Ahaz is that he did not follow God, like his father David, Uh, And, you know, just little things like he burned his son as an offering to idols, Um, he worshipped idols in the high places, and he did a whole bunch of really terrible stuff. And so this is the ruler of Judah at this time. This is their king. Uh, And whether because of his terrible leadership or um, maybe his terrible leadership is because of this, I don't know, but... uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria, which is just north of that, have kind of teamed up, and they're going to come and besiege Jerusalem. And so they come, they attack, uh, and they just take even more land. So basically, Jerusalem 
just has this little area of land around it. And uh, they've got a terrible king. And so in almost every way imaginable, Israel, Judah, is just a stump of what it was. Their glory of the former days are completely gone, and it's just getting worse. And so Ahaz, again, because he's a 20-year-old man full of wisdom and great ideas, he realizes he's in trouble, and so he sends to the king of Assyria to ask him for help. Now, we have Syria with no A and Assyria with an A, right? Syria is a little country. Assyria is the most powerful empire of the time. And so Ahaz sends him all the gold from the temple of the Lord where they were supposed to worship and offer sacrifices to God, gives it to the king of Assyria, and asks him for help. And he does come and help. But Assyria, you should know, was the most powerful empire of the time, yes. Um, but also, they were the most cruel. So, kind of like renowned throughout history, they're known for their cruelty. Um, if they offered you a treaty, they would come up and say, hey, here's the deal Give us everything you have, send us a whole bunch of people to use as slaves, and uh, in return, um, we won't kill every one of you. And that's it. That's all you got, is not dying. Um, and if you refused, they had this kind of total warfare approach where they would destroy cities, salt the land so you couldn't grow anything. Uh, they would impale people on stakes. They would take slaves and put hooks in their nose and lead them by chains. Like, there's murals of this in the London History Museum or whatever it's called. You can literally go and see the depictions of their cruelty um, preserved for history. And so this is who brilliant, wise Ahaz decides to ask for help, right? Probably not a great idea. And so this is the context to which Isaiah is speaking. Uh, and so in verse one, we get this image that it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, right before this, we saw this image of God as the divine lumberjack coming and chopping down all of the great and mighty trees and leaving nothing but stumps. And so Israel is a stump, and all the nations around it are going to be stumps as well. But into this lifelessness and this terrible situation of Judah, God gives a word of hope and promise that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And so why would it say the stump of Jesse, right? King David is the great king of Israel. Like that's what we want to get back to, the glory days, right? He was a man after God's own heart, um, you know, the greatest king. Um, I think there's two reasons why it says the stump of Jesse. Um, first, it's for humility, um, it shows that both where Israel is and what is needed for restoration, right? That Israel is completely humbled uh, and that it's not going back to those glory days because the glory days are completely gone, but it's going back even further to that, to where Jesse was the father of a shepherd boy named David, a peasant in the wilderness. And I think it also signifies that this is a complete fresh start, that we're not even building upon the ruins of the former kingdom, but this is something new, um, a new life that God is bringing about. And this branch is going to bear fruit. And as we'll see later on in the following weeks of these sermons, that fruit that he bears is a renewed world. 
It's the restoration of the kingdom, but also the hearts of the people. And as we know in Christ, um, all of God's gifts to us and for us. And so Israel is in a situation where they need a worthy king. They need a king who can meet them in this situation and offer help. Um, But we, sitting here in America, we don't love the idea of kings, right? Like the whole point of our country is that we don't have kings. Um, And to quote uh, Marquis de Lafayette from the musical Hamilton, I don't know enough French to know if I should say this in a sermon or not, but he says, tell the king, casse toi, who's the best, c'est moi, right? (laughs) So like that is in the air that we breathe in America. Like we don't need a king, like we got what we need in ourselves. But this passage reminds us and shows us that even though we come from this long line of people who reject the idea of kings, that a good and a faithful and a righteous king actually can bring about the hope and the healing and the life that we need. And so in verse two, we see that this coming one, this king, this Messiah, um, has three gifts that are given by the Spirit. And each has kind of two aspects. So we're going to dive into that in verse two. Um, First, it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, this has happened throughout the Old Testament. David had the spirit of the Lord upon him. Moses had the spirit of the Lord upon him. Some of the prophets had the spirit of the Lord upon him. Samson would have the spirit of the Lord. This is not a unique thing. Although it seems that the extent and the power of which the spirit is resting upon this Messiah And the fruit that he bears um, shows that this is something a little bit unique. Um, And so throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit equips and empowers God's people to serve God and to do his work and his will in the world. And so this king will have that spirit. And it's also the same spirit that we see in Genesis 1 hovering over the waters of creation and breathing life into all of God's works. And so that very spirit, that creative power, is the one who is giving these gifts to this Messiah. And those gifts, like I said, there's three of them and they come in pairs. And so we're just gonna take those one by one. Uh, And the first says, he shall have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Now, these are kind of common word pairs in the Old Testament. King Solomon, again, has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and he's kind of revered, at least now, as one of the most wise people to ever live. He wrote Ecclesiastes, he wrote the Proverbs, things like that. So we look to him as being full of wisdom, and the Bible says that he had this spirit upon him. And so what these words mean are very, very similar, though you can kind of get some nuance out of them. So wisdom is essentially having the skill to live rightly and knowing the right thing to do in a given circumstance. The understanding is like knowing how to apply that like with great care and precision depending on what situation you're in. So together, this means that the king knows the right thing to do and he knows the right way to do it, even in difficult circumstances. And so to try to like bring this a little bit to earth, I've thought of a couple analogies. Uh, and first, uh, Joel does a great job of not using sport analogies in his sermons, and I'm gonna break that trend today, I apologize. But the first is that I thought of is a quarterback. So 
a quarterback needs to have wisdom, and in this analogy, that's just the basic skills of the game. They need to throw the ball, they need to be able to run, they need to like, know the plays, like, they just have to have the basic building blocks to do the job. But then, you know, a ninth grade quarterback like, can have some of those skills, but maybe not the same expertise that an NFL quarterback might have. So that understanding piece is knowing in a split second decision, just having that instinctual gut of like, what is the right thing to do now? So I'm envisioning like it's third and nine and then he takes the snap and then he's got a run pass option. He's holding it in the running back's belly, looking at the defense, deciding what to do to get that first down to achieve success. That is what the understanding piece is that differentiates a ninth grade quarterback from Peyton Manning, right? Uh, that shows my age, I guess, but. <laughs> um, the other analogy, if you're not a sports person, uh, is that of a chef. So a chef needs to have, again, the basic skills. They need to know how to chop stuff. They need to know different cooking methods. They need to know how to make the five mother sauces, all those things that you can kind of like read from a book and just with a little bit of practice, get decent at. But... So that's the wisdom piece. And then the understanding is a sh like professional chef on Iron Chef or whatever it may be, like knowing, oh crap, this dish is a little bit too spicy. It's gonna make the judges upset. Like what can I do to balance out these flavors to make it perfect, to bring something new from this mistake that actually is gonna be better than it ever was before. Um, so those are kind of those distinctions between wisdom and understanding. Um, if you like both sports and cooking, congratulations. Um, but if you are anything like me in your day-to-day -day life, you have a hard time even like going into this headspace of wisdom and understanding. Like I spend most of my day just like with my nose so close to the grindstone, just trying to make it through that I don't even look up or catch a breath. And like the ability to even like try to put effort to approach something with wisdom and understanding just a lot of time is not there for me. And so because of these things, and if any of you ever feel that way as well, um, we have the good news that there is a king who has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, um, who does those things for us and can grow that ability and desire in us. So the next gift that this king has is the gift of counsel and might. And so... Counsel is this ability to plan and prepare and to strategize and to like think ahead. And then might, um, sorry. Uh, so we, some of you may be planners and preparers, um, but as scripture says, God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways and his plans are not our ways um, or our plans. And so his ability to plan and strategize, especially empowered by the Spirit, is just superior to ours. Um, and those of you who are planners maybe have realized just the tension that can come when you have the perfect plan, but you actually don't really have what it takes to carry it through. Um, that no matter how much you plan, and think about something and prepare, uh, you just can't actually make it happen. Um, or there are those of you who don't plan at all and just, you know, whatever happens, happens. And that's a little bit more of my speed, but. Um, 
So this king has the spirit of counsel, planning, strategizing, preparing, but he also has the spirit of might, which is the ability to carry through those plans and to execute them. And in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, these words are also given to the Messiah. It says, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. So these things, separate from each other, don't do a whole lot of good, but when they are brought together, um, they are a powerful gift um, that we can receive from our king. Um, Because I don't know if you guys have ever felt like you know the right thing to do, but you just can't seem to do it where you go to the counseling session and you come leave like excited about this new way to like maybe hypothetically address an issue in your marriage or with your family for the holidays or with conflict at work. Uh, and you like are, are jazzed about like, okay, I'm really gonna go and tackle this. And then as soon as you walk into your entryway or sit down at that Thanksgiving table or go into the office that you just go straight back to being the old you um, that you're trying to get away from. I know I feel that way a lot, and that is why we need a king who has the spirit of counsel and of might. And this king also has a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So that means that this king both knows who God is, what he is like, what he wants and desires from us, And he actually cares about living according to those ways. So I don't know how much King Ahaz knew, but he probably knew something about what he was supposed to be doing and like offering his son as a sacrifice to idols. He probably knew wasn't the right thing, but he didn't care. He did not respect or have this honor of God to to follow him, but he decided to do whatever he felt was best. And a little bit closer to home analogy, uh, when I was a kid, Um, my dad had a particular way that he wanted the dishes to be done, right? And I thought that way was gross because it involved washing them in a sink full of water, full of food and all that stuff. And I was like, no, if my chore is going to be washing the dishes, I'm going to do it my way. So I did it under running water because that's what I thought would get them clean. And as you can imagine, nine-year-old Ethan and his dad got into a little bit of conflict sometimes about not doing things the way that I was told. Uh, But... I knew what my dad wanted, but I did not care to follow them because I thought that my way was better. Um, Those of you who have been children or have children maybe know what I'm talking about. Um, But this king, he has a spirit of both knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will lead his people into the same way so that he will teach them about who God is and what he's like and he will instill in them this proper trust and love and awe to serve God faithfully. And to top it all off in the first line of verse three, um, it says, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this king is not just dutifully doing these things because he's dragging his feet and like, I guess this is the right thing to do. Like, if I'm going to lead God's people, I should do it. But he is filled with delight in the fear of the Lord. And the word delight in the Hebrew um, means delight. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, but it also has this kind of nuance of 
uh, it's connected to the sense of smell. Um, so if you've ever made like cinnamon muffins or something, uh, and you come down the stairs and you smell just that beautiful smell of cinnamon filling your house, um, that it fills you with delight, that's kind of what it's talking about. Or uh, if you're like me and you like smoked meats and you can just smell the aroma of that smoke um, from a long ways away uh, and that fills me with delight. Um, some of you, it might do the opposite, I don't know. Um, but so that's kind of what it's talking about. It's something that just fills you with delight and that also you can sense from a ways off, right? Um, and there's actually a story about Rodney Scott, uh, one of the greatest uh, barbecue pit masters of our age. Um, and while he was getting his restaurants up and running in Birmingham, right, like he just had this little operation in South Carolina and then you know, he got bought out by corporate money, et cetera, and it's another story for another day. But he was opening restaurants in Birmingham and he was training his crew to work there. And there's a story that the manager of the Avondale restaurant will tell uh, that one day he was you know, getting the smoker up and running and Rodney wasn't there, uh, but he gets a call from Rodney and Rodney says, hey, you got too much hickory, you need to put oak in. He's like, what? You're not even here, what are you talking about? He's like, I can smell it. You got too much hickory, you need to put more oak in. So Rodney, through his years and years of experience and just living in that world, was able to distinguish even in the smoke from miles away what was going on and what was true and what was off. Um, and so that is a little bit of like what this king has. So he delights in the fear of the Lord to such an extent that he can actually, from a ways off, smell it out. So that he's not deceived or confused by false faces of holiness or righteousness, but he can see to the heart of matters and know what, who is truly following the Lord and who is not. And because he has just this keen sense of discernment, he's able to cultivate that fear and that love of God in his people. And so, that is our passage for today. Um, and in closing, I want to give us just a few words of application. Uh, and the first is, I hope you have figured this out by now, that this king and this Messiah that this passage is talking about is Jesus. So just like the people from Isaiah's time were looking and hoping for a king who would come and help them out of whatever situation that they're in, they were awaiting the rule of a good and righteous king. We await Jesus' return to make all things new and right and to enact his reign fully and finally on earth. Because through Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension, he has made his blessing to flow as far as the curse is found. But that curse is still in the ground. And in the season of Advent, we wait with groaning and anticipation and hope for Jesus to come back and to swallow up death in victory so that sin and sorrow will be no more and that thorns will no more infest the ground. And the Apostle Paul will quote Isaiah from another passage saying, on that day when Christ returns and makes all things new, then shall be fulfilled the promise that says death is swallowed up in victory. 
Only then will that promise be fully and finally realized. So we live in this in-between time. In Advent, we lean into that in-between time. So first, Jesus is the king that this passage is talking about. Second, Jesus has everything that we lack. So all of the wisdom, all the understanding, all of the counsel and planning, preparing and power and might to actually do it, all of the knowledge and fear of the Lord that we do not have but we desperately need just to survive our days are found in him. And the good news is that he is our king and that he rules in such a way that he gives these gifts to his people. He cultivates these things in us. So even though we may be a people who reject the idea of a king and prefer self-sufficiency, we have this hope that Christ actually meets us and provides these things that we have because, believe me, you don't want to be like King Ahaz and doing what he thinks is right and getting yourself into a worse situation. So Jesus is this king. Jesus has everything we lack. And last, we actually don't lack anything at all. Because the same spirit of the Lord that rests upon this Messiah and this passage, Jesus, he lives in each and every one of you if you've trusted in him. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, you now have access to the Father through his spirit and that he provides all of these things freely and without judgment. We'll say in James that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give freely. And I think the same probably goes for understanding counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord too. So if you feel like you're lacking these things, ask him. Trust in him. Seek your brothers and sisters and he will meet you in that place. And in closing... You know that fig tree that I told you about in my lawn? It actually has a whole bunch of shoots that are coming out of that lifeless stump. And maybe one day it'll bear fruit again. And so in all of our longing and all of our waiting through these seasons where it just seems like we're staring at the lifeless stumps around us, we can wait and hope that Christ will bring new life. And while we wait, we gather around God's word, we gather with his people, and we gather at this table for him to meet us, to sustain us as we walk through that day in, day out, week in, week out, years and years of waiting for him to come and to swallow up death in victory.